Hey y'all, Tiana here, and I'm excited because we've got another guest today. And this is somebody whose work I have admired from afar for quite some time now. And I am just so juiced that they accepted my invitation to come on and have this conversation with me. So I hope you enjoy it because I know I did. See you on the other side. Hi, everybody. It's Tiana, and I'm here with a guest. And I'm really excited about this guest because this is somebody who um, forced me to put on my big girl panties and get serious about what I'm doing here <laughs> um, because she's busy. So, uh, hey, guest. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> Can you tell the people who you are? I sure can. I am Desiree Attaway. She, her, hers. Um, I'm a consultant and trainer and coach and speaker. And I am the principal owner of the Attaway Group. Super. I'm excited. I'm, I'm really excited because I've been a fan, I would say, of you and your work for plenty of years now. Um, I remember that uh, you were doing these conversations about um, race, class, and gender. There we yeah. go. And I was like, oh, this is an opportunity to talk to you for like free? Yes. Um, and that conversation was really important to me in a lot of ways because you asked these questions and I recorded the call. Um, I asked to record the call because I was like, I have no idea what's going to come out of my face and I want to record it. And I've never listened to it back, but I came across it the other day when I was trying to clear space on my, on my phone. And I was like, oh yeah, that's right. You did do this. Um, and I remember being asked questions in that call and like having to go back in my memory and figure out like what my experience was, um, and finding that sometimes I didn't have a good answer. Yeah, yeah. So, so the call happened, I had started doing, um, I was like, I just feel like I'm talking to the same people. So the first mm -hmm. series of calls were actually just me getting to know people. I was like, I wanna expand my network. I wanna meet new people. So I just asked folks, hey, if you like me and you think I'm decent, introduce me to people. So I was just talking to folks like, who are you and what are you doing? What do you love? And was loving those conversations. Mm -hmm. And then, and this is what always breaks my heart when I say this, um, some, another black man was killed by the state. Mm -hmm. And I actually can't remember which one it was. Mm. Ooh, that's and fun. so then I said, I'm going to continue these conversations, but we're actually going to talk about things that matter. So we're going to talk about things like race, class, and gender. Yeah. And I, I, I did not do any recording. I did over a thousand people by the time. Oh my I God. I did not record anyone. I did not write any notes. It was not, I did not write a book. I did not write any blog posts. I did that for my edification, but I also did that for me. It was a way for me to model for other people. How do you invite folks in for some difficult conversations? And how do you 
the space in your own life for that to happen. Absolutely. So, um, so over time, I, I, you know, I did these, they were 30 minutes, if you remember, and I asked a few questions, um, questions like, what was your, you know, what did your parents teach you about race? Uh, what was the first time you either heard or said a racial slur? Things like that. And so it was amazing. People shared. They were so generous and they shared so much with me. Yeah. And um, yeah, it's been really helpful for me um, as I do my work of um, as a trainer and a teacher. And a, is that for so many of us, these conversations are so new. Um, mm. And, you know, that we, we've been taught not to talk about these things. Um, right. And by us continuing to do that, we allow these systems to continue to work just the way they were set up to. So, you were one of many amazing folks who were generous and kind and made space and time for me to spend with them and I appreciate it. Mm, thank you. Oh, I just, that's amazing. Like, I am such a fan of anybody who is like inviting folks for generosity, just like just out of generosity. like. You know, I'm doing this because I honestly want to have a conversation. I want to hold a space for you while you, you know, plumb these depths for yourself. Yeah. Um, and I think that's amazing. And what, what was really moving for me is the level of folks who were like, you know, I was in first grade and, you know, some little girl some little black girl like bumped into me at the water fountain and I called them a name oh. right because I'm six when I had no idea what that word meant but now I'm 46 and I still hold so much guilt and shame mm. about what I did mm. or which was so common when I would ask people of color, like the first time you were called a racial slur, and I am not lying, second grade, like kept coming up for people. Yeah. And again, just, you know, doing things that kid did, kids do, and then someone said something and really no idea of the word or the language they were using or the hurt that they were putting on other folks, but we remember those things so clearly, oh, yeah. just like they were yesterday. That's right, that's so. right. Hmm. So how did you get into this work? Like, what was your path and trajectory besides like lived experience? So, yeah, so part of the lived experience is um, before I had children, like I used to be the activist. I, like I was the kid at 14 who, you know, would have the list of groceries that I allowed my mother to purchase, right? Because I'm like, 
we don't eat table grapes because we're boycotting um, because of the farm workers, right? Okay, and yeah. we don't eat Nest, we don't have Nestle products because of the global ban against, like that was, I was that kid, right? Um, I was a kid who my mother wanted a mink coat more than anything in life, because we were mm. we were solidly lower middle class, wanted a, a mink fur coat. And I would put pictures on the refrigerator of the ways that they killed the animals for furs. Yeah. Right. Like I was that yeah. kid. So I always had a cause. There was always something. And um, so prior to having children, like I was, I was the in the street, combat boots on, protesting person. Wow. And then I had children and I realized I actually couldn't get arrested mm. anymore. Right. Like that I couldn't do that. So my activism began to look differently. And then, um, you know, for years I worked in for-profit and nonprofit, large international nonprofit organizations. I worked and lived all over the world. And um, um, I worked, I, I ran huge teams, global teams and what kept popping up as I was managing these teams was we don't have the conversations we need to have. Mm -hmm. And a lot of these conversations that we needed to have were about race, class, and gender. So I was the person that would say the thing. I was the person that would, with my teams, talk about those taboo subjects. And so I kind of got this reputation. And then 11 years ago, I uh, sent my youngest off to college and um, I took off and started working for myself nice. and so yeah that that was when I really began to um, to kind of pull all of those pieces of of my life together and working for myself so you know I was a single mom raising two kids so you know, and I, and I say this all the time when I teach, I'm like, yeah, were there times I took it? Cause I had to, cause I had two kids to feed. Absolutely. Yeah. That's the reality. Um, and when, and when they went off to school, um, I think a lot of people would have still been pretty conservative. Like you got to pay for them to get through school. Why are you quitting your really good paying job? And I was just like, yeah, now's the time. Mm. Now's the time to go for it. And it was perfect. And I started off um, kind of doing coaching for activists. So a lot of the um, BLM activists that you saw or um, folks who were really doing on the ground stuff, I was hoping to do a lot of strategy and behind the scenes work, fundraising, things like that. Um, because like I said, my in the street days were, were over, but there were other skills that I had that I could help utilize some of the movement work with. Um, so yeah, so uh, about 11 years ago, I started the Attaway Group and um, we took off and we've not looked back and it's been a real gift um, to be able to really do the work that supports black and brown folks. I mean, I tell people all the time, 
I go into organizations, not not for the white leadership. I go in there for the black and brown folks who are who are having to work in there, who have to stay in there because they got families to feed. That's right. So I I show up in those spaces for them. That's amazing. Yeah. I love how at the very beginning, <laughs> like, yeah, you know, um, I had kids and I realized I couldn't keep, I couldn't get arrested anymore <laughs> you just like split that in there at the end <laughs> well because that in the u.s right and depending on what state you're in oh, yeah. um, you're literally putting your children at risk That's of right. the state coming in and like in minnesota <laughs> if you get you can get a felony right for protesting which is what? My constitutional right. Oh my goodness. To protest. But once I have that, it's hard now for me to find housing. Truly. And you're a black woman. Right. And so it's a system that's set up, mm -hmm. right? Like I'm out here protesting for my right, every that's right, right that I have. That's right. But that can also lead me down a path that's really difficult for me to get off. Yeah. This is, so, this is amazing. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that, that's something really important. And I think a lot of people don't understand that, um, that the system is against us, yep. you know, absolutely. Uh, every well, single and, way. And the folks that I truly admire, right? Like these, you know, not these kind of superstar activists they, and, and a lot of them are amazing, but like mm. these folks who are like just solidly doing the day-to-day -day work on the ground. Yeah. Like those folks, there's no retirement. There's no 401k no. for helping your community, right? For organizing. That's right. Right? And a lot of these folks put community ahead of everything. And, and I, I always am like, how are we going to help make sure um, that when they're ready, when there are elders and they're ready to pass on the baton, how do we make sure they're taken care of? That mm. they have housing, right? That they have health care, they have access. So for me, that's a real, it's a real issue. How are we, how are we taking care of the people who are frontline taking care of us? That's a fantastic question. Um, and I appreciate like the groundedness of that question for the simple fact that I think that a lot of us um, who are working toward liberation, we're like quote unquote visionary type of people. You know, mm -hmm. we're thinking about like what, what it's gonna look like when it arrives, but we're not thinking necessarily about like, well, what are the actual steps that must be put into place? What are the systems that are gonna to have to be created? What about the infrastructure? You know, we're not thinking about those concrete things. We're just thinking about like, tear it down. And I think that that's super necessary. We do need to think about how do we tear it down? How do we get the people? Um, how do we get that critical mass to make things move forward? Yes, absolutely. But also what happens next? Well, I always say, I don't talk about tearing it down if I'm not talking about what we're building. Mm -hmm. We don't get to tear something down and not have an, not even have an understanding of what we don't put in it. 
Oh my goodness, yeah. And so the question is not just, what are you willing to destroy? The question is, what are you willing to build? And who do you need standing beside you to make that building happen? Yes. Yes. This is, um, yes. <laughs> I, I mean, so this, I mean, just destruction for me is what supremacy does, right? Supremacy mm -hmm. is all about destruction. So we cannot just be all about destruction. So one of my core tenets in my work is I, I will never treat people the way white supremacy treats me. Mm -hmm. Anybody. I'm, I am going to try my very best to never replicate those systems of harm. Yeah. Which means that I make space for forgiveness, right? I create, I believe in redemption. I believe in, I have to, I have to fully believe in these things. I don't believe that you throw away anybody. Yeah. Um, and so I have to then believe I don't just get to destroy if I'm not willing to build yeah. as a part of this ethos. Yeah. That's a fantastic reminder because I, I, I realize like um, a lot of us, they, we come to this work because we've been propelled here by our lived experience and the big feelings that we're feeling by our grief and our anger and our rage. And these are important feelings to have. This is important oh, energy to harness. But the problem is it burns hot, it burns fast, and it burns you out. Mm -hmm. And like, we need to kind of titrate that. We need to figure out how do we continue to hold on? How do we make this sustainable? And also like, I need y'all on the other side. Yeah. Know? I tell people all the time, I stay at a nice simmer. <laughs> I do. I live at a simmer. I'm like, I'm, yeah. I'm mad all the time. Yes. But I, I try to use my anger. Sometimes I'm, I'm a, I can't. And then I go on Twitter and I start fighting with people. But I, I try to use that anger in service. Right. That's right. I try to use it in service. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's it. We will, these systems will use you up and spit you out. They will. I mean, that was what they were created for. Capitalism was created to, to use us up physically and emotionally <laughs> and then literally throw us, throw us away. So, right, we got to, we have to think, right? We have to hold these things with nuance, but with both hands, right? Like, yeah, that's destroy capitalism, but guess what? Capitalism ain't going away tomorrow. Truly. So how am I gonna navigate that's right. this, that's right. where we are? That's right. Uh, and in what ways can I be transactional with capitalism? Hmm, can sure. I use it? Um, I always say I will I will use the fuck out of a system, but never people. I am transformational with the people in my world, but uh, capitalism. I will use it. I will use it. I will use it up because I know it was made to destroy me. 
Mm. Um, and so, um, yeah, I, I think we just have to be, understand that we can use systems, but we don't ever use people. Yeah, that's right. Mm. Ooh. What body trust got to do with it? <clears throat> body trust got everything to do with it. Tell me. Well, do you know what literally what just happened? And timing is always perfect. Right before I've been trying to buy some long-term care health insurance, right? Because mm -hmm. at some point, capitalism is going to use me and my body up. Um, right. And so I've been in the process, you know, working with a broker and trying to get all these health insurance policies and some other pieces in place. And had to fill out, I don't know, 50 pages worth of forms where they oh, ask gracious. you everything about, you know, anything in your life. And it's, it's a lot. And, you know, I've talked to these people a couple of times via Zoom. They've seen me, I've seen them. And uh, I just literally got a message before I talked to you where the broker said, hey, I see where your height and weight is on here. Oh, no. The estimates I gave you, they're going to charge way more than that. And it may be prohibitive for you to buy the to buy this policy. And I said, that's, that's my weight. That's my height. That's who I am. That's right. Just let me know. And so what does body trust have to do with it? For me, it's, I could have just filed down to this whole, oh, you're fat. And because of that, and in my mind, I'm like, fuck these people. I'm sorry. <laughs> that's right. But that's what I said to myself after she, you know, I said, I'm not going to, like, they do a physical. Like, that's real. That's how much I weigh. That's right. And they don't know me. They're not taking into account how much I exercise or how I live my life or what I do. They just okay. see two numbers and they try to tell me who I am. Yeah. And they try to tell me what I'm capable of. Mm -hmm. And if I don't trust me and my body, I would fall for that bullshit. Mm. I would believe everything they say about fat black women. Right? Mm -hmm. How I'm undesirable or useless or only here to work or to raise somebody else's children. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I'm just like, okay, do you. And I'm gonna do me in this big old body. Cause that's the body I got. That's right. And so it's important because it is just one more way this these systems want to control who we are and how we show up in the world and it's one more way for them to destroy us mm. that's true that's so. very true so like i noticed that <laughs> this is a it's a difficult topic 
it's somehow like, I, I know um, there was an adage going on around, um, you know, in the mid, in the early 2010s, where people would say things like, you know, fat phobia is the last acceptable, um, like form of right, yeah, yeah, like form of a, a form of oppression, and um, well, now all the other forms of oppression are back in fashion, so we can't say that anymore. <laughs> um, but like, what I do notice is when you're over here on the left and in progressive spaces, and you know we're talking about liberation, folks still be talking about like trying to get people to be thin or like larger bodies are completely left out of the conversation. We're not accommodated and we're not even considered. And so there's like, there's a real problem here. And um, I'm curious because you were somebody who was doing this liberatory work and found that this actually belongs there too. What was like, what was your connection? How did you, how did you find that? Um. I, I think I made, for me, I think I made that connection with ableism, mm. right? Like fat phobia, ableism. Yeah. Um, and when I would teach about ableism, we would talk about universal design, right? Like if we use and lead with universal design, then we don't have to worry that that chair won't hold my ass. Right. Right, because we're going to make chairs that are wider. We're going to make chairs that don't have arm, you know, or movable arms. Like we're going to make it so that the the most human bodies, no matter what they look like, can sit in that space and feel comfortable. Yeah. So I think when I really understood universal design, and really started um, connecting ableism. You know, the other thing too is that five years ago, I had a, a major accident where I hmm. broke my leg um, in like three different places. Oh, gosh. And I was laid up for a year and um, in an apartment that was on the second floor. So I was literally laid up, Ooh, like yeah. locked in. Um, <clears throat> um, and was on a walker and a cane and all this. but. You know, it became so apparent to me that those things can change in an instant. Yeah. Right? Like I was absolutely able buddy all of a sudden, and now in a second, I was not. Yeah. And I think about um, what that means for folks. Like I could get sick tomorrow lose 150 pounds and have a million people telling me that, uh, oh my God, I look so great. Yeah, yeah. Right, as I'm battling some illness. Or I could gain a hundred more pounds tomorrow. That's right. And, and again, <clears throat> that changes nothing about who I am, my values, right? My intelligence my ability to move, my ability to be happy, my ability to love and be in relationships. That's right. None of that changes. 
But again, we've created a society which will tell us, right, the patriarchy, which has told us that as women, especially, we are unworthy. Yeah. <clears throat> the other thing, the other teacher for me was actually Toni Morrison. Hmm. Toni Morrison, I, I think, is probably my greatest teacher because Toni Morrison taught me to literally not give two shits for the male gaze or the white gaze. I love it. But they literally hold no power over me. And so I know like sometimes I'm on Facebook or I don't fight on Facebook like I used to, but um, you know, there'll be some rando person who will come up and, and you know think they have an argument about something. And then when you kind of go back with it, the only thing they can say to you is, that's why you're so fat or you're so ugly. And I'm like literally laughing hysterically. I'm like, let's be clear, I have many things. I ain't ugly. And two, so what? Like, is that all you got, homie? I need you to come with something. Like, that's Pee Wee version. Like, <laughs> you gonna bring something? Then bring something. That's right. But that, that don't hurt me. That, that doesn't hurt me. And it doesn't hurt me because your gaze is nothing to me. Mm. Mm. And I didn't learn that from my mother. I didn't learn that from... I learned that from literally reading Toni Morrison. Mm -hmm. So why am I giving my energy, time, and attention to something that has no value to me? Will never love me the way I need to be loved. Will never care for me the way I need to be cared for. Will never have my best interest at heart. Never once, not ever. So why am I giving it up? And I'm talking collectively. Of course, they're individual white folks, right? But collectively, no. And collectively, the patriarchy will never allow a woman to be fat. Because as long as she's thin and all of her energy is put towards that gaze, then you don't have time to push back against these systems. You don't have time to question. And that's a lot, but I was, I was fortunate that that was the lesson that I got and I never forgot it. That's amazing. There is a quote by Audre Lorde um, and I love me some Audre Lorde. Um, the only Lord and Savior that I acknowledge. Talk about it. <laughs> I tell people all the time, there was only one Lord and Savior mm. in my life. And that's Audrey. So I just, I mean, just amazing. Um, and oh gosh, I'm gonna butcher the quote because oh, I haven't I haven't thought about it in a while, but oh goodness, what did she say? She said, um, Oh, nothing I accept about myself can be used against me to diminish me. That's right. I name it, always name it first. I'm fat, so what? So when I um, introduce myself when I'm doing trainings and we're talking about identity, <clears throat> when I used to go in front of crowds, I would stand there and I'd say, so what do you see? 
and they'd be like, go, you know, everyone's trying to be all, mm -hmm. and I'm like, I'm black. We can, we can say that. Yes. Right. I'm like, I'm a woman. And I say, I'm fat. Mm. And they're all like, I'm like, y'all can say fat. It doesn't hold any power. It's a descriptor. That's all. Right. Right. But what's really amazing is when I'm working with groups and we're talking about identities and we're talking about like these avatars of the people who are really successful in these organizations. Do you know how many times I've had folks say, Desiree, I don't fit in here because I don't want to sit around and talk about diet. Mm. Right? Right? And, I, and I've had folks come to me and say, I have eating disorder. And, you know, there are these three female leaders who they think they're trying to make a connection with younger folks. And that's all they're talking about is dieting. And I'm like, got it, right? And so it's the same thing, right? People, we're really crappy at communicating and we're really crappy at really. Yes. But we are, we just suck at it. We don't know how to, we literally don't know how to make friends. And so, I'm like, well, that's not what we talk about when we first are like, when we're meeting people. We, we actually need to shut up more and let people like talk about themselves and share what they want to share. Yeah. Right. So it's like when folks do the microaggression, like, where are you from? No, where are you really from? Oh. I'm like, you know what you could have said instead? You could have said, hey, where's home for you? And they would have told you where home is. And they may have told you where that extended home is from. But the where are you from? Where are you really from? Right? And these are people who think that they're trying to, that they're, they think they're honestly making a connection. And I'm just like, oh, I think I need to teach a class on actually <laughs> how to make a friend. Oh my gosh, that would be really beneficial. Because we don't know we don't know how to talk to people who look like us. We especially don't know how to talk to people who don't look like us. Mm. We don't know how to do it. No, I mean the cultural uh, the cultural blueprint that we all have is that uh, we need to bond over our mutual hatred of ourselves. Totally. And that's 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 not a happy that's not a good relationship that's not a good place to start like well yeah. and people don't know what to do i think it was wendy kaling who said it like they don't know what to do when they meet a confident fat person talk about that yes <laughs> or a confident fat you know fat person of color mm. like they are confused That's right. I mean, I, um, when I started down my own body acceptance journey, um, I worked really hard to reclaim the word fat for myself. And I started just using it to describe myself. Um, and like, 
the way people would just sort of do that, like, you know, that, the like, I'm oh, no, taking they, a bath, but I'm trying not to, <laughs> I'm trying not to look like I'm too freaked out here. Um, it was so amusing to me how common it was. Mm-hmm. It brought me a lot of joy, actually. Uh, you know, it's, it's like when I see Lizzo, right? When you see Lizzo <laughs> and these people who are like, Lizzo can't be happy. She must be, this is an act. She can't be happy. Mm. I'm mm. like, I am so confused. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, I mean, honestly, People are complex. Lizzo is probably often unhappy. I think it's very challenging to be a celebrity, especially a celebrity who is so different from all the others, but also that bitch out there living. Wait a minute. Wait, Lizzo may not be happy and nobody expects her to be happy every day, but you know what Lizzo ain't? Lizzo ain't beat Lizzo up. She is living. Lizzo is living, which is all we can hope to do. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And so, and we are, we are amazed when we see that. Mm -hmm. When we see other people living and happy, we're amazed. Yeah. And I love it, right? And so, yeah, I just am like, oof, that male gaze, that white gaze, mm-mm. You don't, you don't get in here because because you don't want me mm. to live. That's right. But I, but I am always amazed by folks who are like, the expectation is whether you're you're whatever size you are that you can't be confident and secure in those you know in how you navigate the world and it's a lot yeah it's a lot I mean it definitely says a lot about the collective misery of our society yeah, um, that we can't like love someone else living and having joy. Well, the reality is oppression doesn't want you to have joy because true. joy is at the center of liberation. Mm, true. I mean, that's, that's why it, it, oppression really tries to beat it out of you. And let's be clear, you know, there are folks out here who will carry oppressions luggage all day long they will carry that baggage they will they they they're a soldier for it right like they are in line and they're gonna make sure they're not happy so i'm gonna make sure you're not happy too oh god yes and so the but oppression doesn't want us to be joyful or to be connected or to have community or to rest um yeah and so every time you do that every time you're happy in those moments, right? I am 55, I am black, I am fat in the US. This world should have destroyed me by now, but it ain't. 
I am here. Yes, you are. Yeah. Mm, yes, you are. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, <clears throat> we joy. Joy is essential. It's essential to freedom. It is. Okay, so that's like a perfect segue because I know that um, you have a hard stop for today. So I'm gonna ask you my final question and yeah. you just you just laid out this beautiful red carpet for it. Um, so Desiree, tell me, tell the people, how are you living your best fat life? How am I? <clears throat> I am bringing as much pleasure to myself as I can. I think pleasure actually um, is so essential mm -hmm. to our lives. And I think some of us are, are thinking we don't deserve pleasure. We can't have pleasure or pleasure is not for us. <clears throat> and I like pleasure is for everybody. And that is whether um, what I'm eating brings me pleasure or who I'm with brings me pleasure or what I'm learning brings me pleasure. Or I just started doing more art. Um, I've become addicted to fountain pens. <laughs> I've seen. And, and ink. I cannot tell you how much pleasure I get from having ink all over my hands and writing mm. with these fountain pens and um, yeah, and just doing art, um, which is something I, I'll never forget. Like 10 years ago, uh, a friend of mine, Heather Plipp, was like, you literally have no art supplies in your house. And I was like, I don't live with children. Why would I have art supplies in my house? Oh. Right? Because that's yeah. the way I was just like, I don't have kids anymore. Why would I have art supplies in my house? Now I have so many art supplies in my house that I adore it. I do it. It brings me pleasure. It makes me happy. I love it. Um, and I live my best life by making sure that pleasure is in it every day in every way. Whether that's through travel or reading or art or music, I surround myself with things that give me pleasure and joy. I love it. Just absolutely delicious. Exactly, because life should be delicious. Life should be delicious. Yeah, and we've been sold a bill of goods that says it's always supposed to be hard and terrible. And I'm like, nope, it's not. Yeah. But I also don't expect it to only be sunshine and rainbows. True. Right? And so That's I always true. say nothing lasts forever, nothing good, nothing bad. That's real. Nothing lasts forever, nothing good, nothing bad. But in those moments, I'm going to extract as much pleasure as I can. Mm, I love it. I love it. So you heard it here. We're going <laughs> to find our moments and extract all the pleasure we can out of them. All the pleasure we can. All the pleasure. Every last drop. Mm. Every last drop of it. This has been so good. Thank you so much for sitting here and having this conversation with me, Desiree. I am so grateful. Thank you. All right. Oh my God. So <laughs> that was great. And all of you, every single one of you needs to be going and checking out Desiree's work because 
we all can take a note from Desiree's book and learn a bit more about how we can uproot the internalized white supremacy we have in our lives, our practices, our institutions, and our organizations. So you should definitely go to either Twitter or Instagram to find Desiree at Desiree Attaway, A-D-A-W-A-Y, or you can go check Desiree out and check out the work of the Attaway Group at www.adawaygroup.com. So that's attawaygroup.com. And yeah, get some of that good old work in, in your space. So I hope you enjoyed that and I'll see you soon. Bye.